want to thank Pastor Kurt, Susan, Karen, the choir for leading us in worship this morning, and for you for singing. You sounded so good this morning. I was deeply encouraged. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We studied that verse along with the other Beatitudes a few weeks ago, but that particular one written in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, has really stuck with me. To be a child of God, a son, daughter of God, means that you will be about the peacemaking work of God through the gospel. And I have a question. Has there ever been a time in your lifetime where we could use more peacemakers than right now? Here's something I've come to notice in 2020. It's the, the clear vision that God has given me in this 2020 year. Maybe you've noticed it as well. People are angry. Have you noticed that? People are mad all the time. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's startling to hear people talk to one another and to read what they post about other people online. Maybe you yourself have been angrier of late because of this season. But what's also interesting about the anger that I'm hearing right now is that it's not just enough any longer to simply express your anger. Now you want to destroy people. If you disagree with someone, it's not just okay to disagree with them. You've got to take them out. It's not just, I think you're wrong, let's have a healthy dialogue about my position versus your position. It's your inappropriate word, inappropriate word, inappropriate word for thinking what you think. And you're no longer worthy of being called a human being. Isn't it crazy how we've escalated? And listen, I know there's a lot to be angry about this year. It's been a roller coaster political, racial tensions, a pandemic, numerous natural disasters, frustration at work and school, isolation, fear, anxiety, depression, all are ruling the day for many and people are frustrated. This isn't normal. We've had blips of this kind of anger in our lifetime. Many of you have seen it on Black Friday when somebody's going after the last TV at Walmart. But now it's every day, all the time. And here's what I want us to see this morning from Jesus's own words, Matthew chapter five. This kind of destructive anger, particularly directed at fellow human beings, brothers and sisters in Christ, has no place among the people of God. This kind of destructive anger, wanting to see wrath poured out on someone, has no place in the kingdom of God. Now, there can be healthy, righteous anger. We see that in the Bible. It's possible to be angry and not sin, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. But usually, that kind of anger is directed towards sin, brokenness, the work of the enemy, whom we have a right to be angry when we recognize the destruction that it's caused and the, the continued oppression and darkness that it brings upon this earth. But we are not called or allowed 
to direct that kind of destructive anger toward another image bearer whom God created and loves. Jesus wants us to see this morning that the work that he is doing in our hearts should lead us to think about and treat others differently. As the reconciled people of God, we should seek to be reconciled to one another at all times. It's a natural consequence of the gospel, of understanding what it is that God has done toward us. As a people who have been protected from the wrath of God, we should not wish our wrath or his on others. It's contrary to the gospel that we serve. So let's see this morning how Jesus challenges us to be a people of reconciliation as we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 21 to 26 of Matthew chapter five. Here's what the word of God says. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to term quickly, come to terms quickly with your accuser, your adversary, while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. And how on earth would you be able to do that if you are in prison? Jesus begins his authoritative teaching on the law by referencing one of the Ten Commandments, one written in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. When God says through Moses, you shall not murder. And Jesus also references the, the teaching that has been developed around it, passed through the people of God. That you should murder, because if you murder, then you're going to come under the judgment of God. How could you not, right? I mean, if you are actively taking the life of someone that God created in his own image, in that moment, you're taking the place of God. Who are you to decide? Not in self-defense here, but with malice. Who are you to decide that that person no longer has the right to live? Of course, you're gonna come under the judgment of God for taking that life and assuming the place of our sovereign God. But Jesus wants to expand this, this teaching, and, and reveal the heart behind why the teaching was given in the first place. It's not enough just to consider the actions, Jesus says. The whole point of the law is to get to your heart. My teaching is going to expand what you think about the law. The command of God not only wants to address the actual act of murder, it actually wants to address the heart that led to that action. Remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about inside-out transformation, which is a, a new concept religiously. People thought, if I behave the right way and do the right things, that the outside would affect what happens on the inside. But what we've seen throughout the Bible is that there's no amount of outward working that can change what happens on the inside. No, you need an act of God to change your heart, to transform you on the inside such that it shows fruit on the outside. 
Jesus is saying, I want to I challenge you. Not think about not only not murdering someone, but I want you to consider the anger that would lead to that kind of murder and whether or not you have that sort of destructive anger in your heart. Because if you want to destroy someone in that way, there's something not right in your heart. That's a problem. I'm not calling you just to avoid murder. I'm calling you to remove anger from your relationships as a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is not saying that these things are the same. It's not the same to murder someone and to hate someone. Certainly there are different consequences to those actions. Just from an earthly perspective, if I hate you, I'm probably not gonna go to jail. Although at this time, there were consequences for speaking about someone. There was an earthly consequence. But God's saying through Jesus, the son, who is also God, listen, it's, you're not free from judgment if you just don't murder someone. Because there's sin being evidenced in your heart just by hating them enough to want to murder them. And that still brings you under judgment. Something has to change. Your heart matters to God. What's inside matters to God. And it should matter to you. Because of judgment. That's what Jesus says here. Don't murder, you'll be liable to judgment. But also if you're angry with your brother, you'll also be liable to judgment. And not just these earthly courts, not just the council, but the fires of hell. When you, dis- when you disparage someone with your words, because you have an offense against them, when you call them raka, maybe some of your translations say, which is a common Hebrew degrading word that was used. When you call them, you fool. When you openly mock them, you are in danger of judgment. You're degrading a brother or sister who is an image bearer. You're not living according to the very forgiveness that you have received from an almighty God. And here's how important this is to Jesus. This is shocking. In verse 24, he says, if you're, this is how seriously I'm taking this. If you're actively giving a sacrifice if you're at the altar and you're worshiping and you remember that someone has an offense against you, not just that you're offended at someone else, but that you're, you're even knowledgeable of someone, a brother or sister having an offense against you, I want you to stop what you're doing. Leave your animal at the altar and go first, seek reconciliation with them before you come and seek reconciliation with me. Isn't that startling? He says, don't live, leave sinful division in a horizontal relationship as you try to deal with a vertical one because your vertical relationship should cause you to want there to be reconciliation in your horizontal relationships. As Christians, we gotta be concerned about both. How we love God affects how we love others, or at least it should. Worship is not only an outside activity. It's not just a a behavioral expression. It must come from the right heart. And you cannot come with the right heart to worship if you have not actively lived out your commitment to God and how you relate to others. Again, not only if you're the one who is offended, but according to our verses here, even if you are aware that someone is offended with you, verse 23, you remember your brother has something against you, go and seek reconciliation. 
Friends, this matters. And not only inside the community, also outside the community as we continue on. Verses 25 and 26, if you have an adversary, an accuser, probably outside of the community of faith here, who's taking you to court, you should also seek immediate reconciliation with them. It reminds me of what Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 12. Do you remember what he writes here? We'll we'll begin in verse 14. We're gonna focus on verse 18 here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. That sounds familiar. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, both inside the community and outside the community. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In the community of God and outside the community of God, seek reconciliation because of how you have been reconciled to Jesus. He's showing us in the beginning of his earthly ministry how the gospel, his work, is meant to affect every single human relationship that we have. I want you to think about the gospel. I want you to think about what Jesus has come to do and what it means for you. I want you to think about how you, how we, have offended God, our sin. I want you to think of the consequence of that, that in you rejecting God, rebelling against God, you have created a gap in relationship that will ultimately lead you apart from Christ to experience his wrath for all of eternity. What a terrible thing. What a tragic thing. A thing, by the way, that we deserve. And then, I want you to think about what God has done for you in Jesus. We deserved destruction. And yet, God chose to do something different. To send his one and only son to come and live the perfect sinless life so that he would experience the destruction that we deserved on the cross. So that he would experience the wrath that we deserved upon the cross. So that he would incur the anger of God towards sin rather than us in order for us to be reconciled to him, to experience glorious, unparalleled forgiveness. Now, I want you to think about this. There has never been in the history of your life an offense committed against you that is greater than what you have done against God. Not one. Even the full collection of everything that has ever offended you, everything that has ever hurt you, everything that has ever cut you to the core, the full addition of all of those things cannot come close to matching the offense that we have committed against our God. And yet, in spite of that, he has made a way 
through his son. The offended party has made a way through the sacrifice of his son to allow the offense to be covered and to offer us forgiveness. Here's the question that Jesus is asking of us. If God did not hold our infinitely greater offense against us, how on earth could we, having been forgiven of so much, not forgive them? How could we hold on to an offense? What justification do we have when we're sitting and basking in the glory and the grace and the mercy of God? Something does not add up. If you're not willing to forgive in the way that God has forgiven you, have you really understood the gospel? Have you really experienced this forgiveness? We are to be a people of peace. We are to be a people of love. Our love for one another and the peace that comes from that love should be evident to all people. We love because he first loved us. And everyone around us knows that we are his because of how we love one another. So a testimony to the gospel. Now listen, this is what Charles Spurgeon said. He was a great preacher. If you haven't listened to him or read him, go do that. Satan greatly approves of our railing at each other. God does not. Let us learn to esteem others instead of depreciating them. It is not of God for us to be angry in this way at others. It's of the enemy. The gospel demands that we treat each other differently, to esteem our brother and sister, to esteem all image bearers rather than seeking to depreciate or destroy them. Now listen, that does not mean there won't be offense. Of course there will be offense. We're broken, sinful people. Any here, anybody in here broken, sinful? Listen, I love my wife deeply. I offend her often. Is that true? Testimony on the front row today. And it's not because I don't love her. It's because I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm selfish. I'm a jerk sometimes. I don't read the room right. Any husbands in here testify? Listen, sometimes I offend my wife. Here's what that does not give us the license to do, quit. I don't walk out of the marriage. I don't say you're wrong, it's over. Because I love her, we seek reconciliation. Why? Because we want the gospel to be on display in our marriage for the good of our children, for the good of our family around us that's watching us, for the good of our friends. And the same thing must be true of our church family. We have made a covenant to one another. There's going to be offense. We're not living in a perfect world, but being a peacemaker means we deal with it in a way that honors the Lord. It matters. We should be quick to forgive and slow to condemn because of how God has acted toward us in Jesus. Now, let's get real practical. Let me give you a a case example, a case study for us to think through. Maybe you've reacted in this way before. Maybe you're just preparing yourself for that moment when you feel a, a kick of the flesh, okay? So let's say someone does something in church and it's offensive to you. Let's, let's use this scenario. Let's say you're in small group, okay? ABF or community group, whatever it is. And the teacher is asking you to respond to a question and you answer. But your answer, dun dun dun, is wrong. Okay? And let's say when the teacher points out that your answer is wrong, they don't do it delicately. Or at least in your mind, 
they don't do it delicately and suddenly you're embarrassed and you feel that kick of the flesh and it leads you to become resentful toward this teacher. It leads you to think about all the wrong things that you've seen him or her do and how you have a desire in this moment to stand up and make sure everyone knows around you how wrong he or she has been in the past, even like you have been wrong in that moment. And you feel it burning within you, bursting within you. I've got to do something to set this right, not to make peace, but to bring about mutually assured destruction. Sound familiar to anyone? It's amazing how quickly our flesh leads us to want to get even and maybe not even even to flip the scale. How a small offense can boil up into a large offense. Let's begin with what you do not do. You should not react in the moment. You should not just open your mouth and immediately respond. You should not start talking with someone after class, maybe your closest friends, talking about how inappropriate the comment the teacher made was and begin to stir up support for your case as you seek to take them down. You shouldn't dwell on that anger, allowing it to fester in your heart and begin expressing it in other places, maybe on your social media account or in your small group later in the week, in your book club, through text message. And you should not leave the class. And you should not leave the church. Because guess what? When you get to another class, somebody's gonna offend you. And when you get to another church, somebody's gonna offend you. Here's what you should do. Biblical responses. Firstly, you should wait, pray. Have the self-control, which is a gift of the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit, to recognize what's happening when you feel that emotion of anger. When you feel it, you gotta identify why you're feeling it and to call it for what it is. It's sin. It's sin in our hearts that has caused this moment of potential division. And that's not natural, by the way. That comes from spending time with the Lord. So for you to have mastery over your emotional state like that comes from spending time with Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to govern your life. And then you should go to the person who committed the offense immediately. Immediately. You don't want it to linger. Go and say, hey, let me just tell you how this came across to me and I don't want there to be any division between us. I wanna make sure we're okay. Can we talk through this? There have been times when I've been the teacher and I'm thinking as I'm teaching, I probably said that too harsh and I maybe have offended that person. And guess what I'm gonna do? Sometimes I apologize right on the spot in the middle of teaching. Sometimes I go to them after this, after this class and say, hey, listen, I think I said this too harshly. I wanna make sure that we're okay. Immediately, we should seek reconciliation. And we can only do that when we don't dwell on the offense, but dwell on Jesus. Recognizing that, hey, I've been forgiven by so much. I've, I've had so many offenses released against me. Let me just go make sure there's reconciliation here because the gospel's on the line. My heart's on the line. I'll make sure I'm not coming under any judgment from God. 
We live in covenant community and how we respond to these moments matter and how we respond to these moments outside of the church also matters. So can I offer just some Christian commitments this morning that we can hold fast to in the midst of conflict that I think build from Matthew chapter five and are echoed across the rest of the New Testament. Ways to help us make sure we are honoring the Lord when we enter into a moment of conflict. Firstly, commitment number one, let's recognize the true origin of all conflict. James chapter four, verse one, really important. In fact, I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles um, to think about what James says here. This is one of the most important verses of any relationship that you will enter into because it, it really does situate the reason why there's division and quarrels amongst us. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, James writes? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? All of us are sinful. All of us are broken. We have this sinful uh, war battle going on within our hearts as we seek to live out and honor the commitment that we've made to Christ. And anytime there is a, a moment of discord, we have to remember where that originates. In sin. Sin created the conflict between us and God. Sin creates the conflict between us all. And a moment of offense we have to identify first the root of offense because we will not be able to find reconciliation until we've agreed where the offense comes from. Secondly, let's remember the beauty of the gospel. If you remember where the offense comes from, then you can be guided by the beauty of the gospel. I wanna turn back to Ephesians chapter four here. As we consider what it means to live out this gospel amongst ourselves. I'm gonna begin in verse 31 of Ephesians chapter four. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Wouldn't it be great if we as a church were known because of how kind we are? Be kind to one another, tender hearted. Listen, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. If you have sat before the Lord Jesus Christ, repented and believed and received the forgiveness that can only be found in him, the gospel demands that you also forgive. Again, how could we hold an offense against someone when God has not done that for us? And finally, let's take reconciliation seriously. Let's be peacemakers. Let's take it as seriously as Jesus takes it in this passage to the point where I'm not even going to stay in worship if I remember there's an offense. I'm so committed to the work of reconciliation. I'm gonna leave my sacrifice and go to make sure that it's right. 
Our relationship is right between my brother and my sister. Remember, peacemaking requires action. Be quick to forgive and quick to extend grace. Be slow to take offense. Believe the best in your brother or sister. And be committed to having difficult conversations when you need to. It's good to meet with people. It's good to hear them out. To allow the Lord to search your heart and see if there's any wrong way within it. Do the work of reconciliation and walk forward in love because the gospel is on the line. This is a a quote from a, a famous pastor from old. He said, wouldn't it be good? It would be a good contest among Christians. One to labor to give no offense and the other to labor to take none. The best men are severe to themselves, but tender over others. Wouldn't that be a good contest for us to get into? Seeing how we could outdo being kind to one another. Let's take reconciliation seriously. Let's be eager. Ephesians chapter four, verse three to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And remember, as we read in Romans 12, 18, you can't always control the response you will get. But so far as it depends upon you, seek to live at peace with your brother and sister and also with those outside the church. Now, let me say this. Maybe some of you in this room this morning are saying, Jared, you just don't know the depth of the offense. You don't know how difficult it is to forgive, to let this go or to have that conversation. Jared, I've talked and I've talked and I've talked. I just don't think I can do anything else. If you can't let go of this offense and you can't find forgiveness in your heart. I think it's really important that you sit before the Lord this morning and ask why. Because there's something there in your heart that you've not turned over to the Lord. A peace that he doesn't have control of, a peace that only he can heal. I want you to be overwhelmed by the gospel this morning. I don't want you to remember the promise of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. That he will be merciful toward our iniquities. And he will remember our sins no more because of Jesus. Oh, that we would be that kind of people. To experience and express that kind of forgiveness toward one another as a testimony to the gospel. If there's bitterness or anger in your heart... Release it, let go of it, repent of it, and turn to the gospel to be your guiding force. Allow it to heal you and walk forward in freedom. Don't let it destroy you as you want to destroy someone else. That's not the kingdom. That's not like Jesus. Now, we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I can't think of a better way to respond to what we've been reminded of this morning than as the people of God being reminded of what unites us in the taking of the supper. But here's where I want to challenge you this morning. This is an act of worship. 
that we're about to partake in. And maybe in this teaching, the Lord has brought to mind an offense. Maybe you're offended at someone or you know someone is offended at you and you've not tried, you've not sought reconciliation. I'm gonna challenge you. In this moment, as we pray and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper, to commit to addressing whatever it is that is divisive between you and another brother or sister. I'm thinking that maybe the the Holy Spirit will give some of you boldness enough to step out of this room and go call somebody or send them a text message. Maybe walk across the room because you're so committed to wanting to take the Lord's Supper in a way that honors him. How could you honor him for how he's reconciled you to himself and not be active in seeking reconciliation with your brother or sister? Remember, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians to not take the supper in a way that dishonors the Lord. So let's make sure that we give the Spirit room to do this work in response. And I would say, if you can't, before the Lord, feel satisfied about something he's bringing to conviction in your mind, just don't take the supper today. Abstain. Let that be a commitment that, hey, when we do this again, I want to be ready before the Lord and I'm going to seek to make sure that I'm living a reconciled life. Just put the elements in front of you. Leave them. We'll come get them later. So wherever you are, you bow your head. Ask the Lord to search your heart. If there's anything in your heart that would lead you to take this supper in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, that doesn't give true testimony of the work that God has done in you, in Christ.